This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, August 4th, 2010, and this is episode 36. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. I'm still traveling by air right now, Paul. Traveling by air? Yes, I am I'm crossing Hong Kong uh, somewhere over the island. Maybe, uh, maybe you're jet setting in a, in, a, in a helicopter from Macau. Yes, I am on a silent jet wow. that is uh, being piloted by Batman. You've got personal Wi-Fi. That's awesome. That's right, and I'm also talking via my iPad 4. <laughs> <laughs> Custom built by Steve Jobs himself, right? Yes. Oh wait. I thought I'm dreaming. Never mind. No, no we're talking about Inception today. So oh, I figured okay, we might yeah. a little dream, dream, dream talk today. Yeah. Yes. And everything's going backwards, right? Short-term right. memory loss. <clears throat> well, this is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and sometimes lots of other stuff in between. Um, so, well, for without much further ado, let's just get into stuff with some news. All right, we've got a little bit of news for East Screen this week. Um, the first bit of news coming from Film Biz Asia is about our film uh, that we'll be talking about for West Screen later, and that is Inception. Now, Inception's getting a release in China, and that release was originally scheduled for later in September, and, but apparently the film's release date has been bumped up to September 2nd. Um, what do you think about this, Kevin? I mean, some people have been speculating that they're not sure how Inception is going to play, if it's going to need to be edited down. And, you know, now suddenly they're they're bumping it up. Um, the article from Film Biz Asia uh, mentions uh, Golden Week. And they say the move seems designed to avoid the highly crowded space at the end of September when China is gearing up for the Mid-Autumn Festival, which will be September 22nd. And the Golden Week, which is the week-long holiday that begins with uh, October 1st, National Day. So what do you think? Um, do you think that they're afraid that Inception is going to you know, give some of the films, perhaps some of the Chinese films, a run for their money? Or do you think that um, there was some maybe some reservations about whether they were going to need to censor this? And then they found out maybe there's not much that needs to be censored, so just, they'll just release it early. Well, I, I would have been surprised if they kept it at their original slot because um, I think the tradition is that the government has usually cleared off that period pure, uh, purely for Chinese films. Uh, like last year, uh, Founding Republic, uh, and years before, usually that, that, that slot is usually reserved for Chinese films. Um, and it's a very crowded period, so um, I think um, Inception would have been in trouble at that time. Um, so I'm not surprised that they moved it up. I am actually surprised that the film got in the first place, considering the whole film is about a gang of thieves, you know, um, who essentially spend the entire movie trying to, you know, commit corporate espionage. Um, 
maybe perhaps like I wrote, I, I think I joked this on my Twitter, and maybe it maybe is actually uh, more real than more the real case than than what seems to be the joke is that you know Chinese government see this and, and see this about propaganda and they figured oh it's about implanting ideas in people's head and they thought oh we can make something out of this mm-hmm. so they decided to to play in China but I, I'm surprised that the film got got released in China in the first place mm. yeah I can you, I can see it now the they'll have a you know inception the inception of Mao's little red book inside <laughs> the minds of you know all the Chinese people. Yeah, um, you know the the Chinese media has been saying this film is going through uh, without any cuts, but I'm a little surprised. I mean, I I could think of some. I wonder if there will be voiceovers. Well, you know, I saying, wonder. You know, the, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before with some of the censorship rules for mainland China films, and one of the big ones that kind of irks me is with regard to supernatural stuff you know they 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 they're not allowed to show ghost films in China without the specific endings of it being some kind of psychological issue or a dream um that's sort of a reveal at the very end even if that reveal is simply some extra text that's sort of thrown up on screen at the very last moment I'm wondering here if because of the nature of Inception dealing with dreams, and I don't want to spoil the film at all, but I wonder if they feel that because it's dealing with dreams that it's meeting that requirement somehow. So, you know, the fact of whether there's bad stuff or not happening within the dreams don't really matter because it's all a dream. That that could be it. I mean, it depends on how literal the censors read the films. Um there are some uh, some films, some even Chinese filmmakers have been smart enough to to know that uh, censors read things very literally in China and that they they sort of um, uh, subtly go through um, get get away with what they do. For example, I believe the end of Curse of Golden Flower. Um, uh, the ending is uh, it shows the people cleaning off a very bloody battlefield, and that somehow apparently I've been told it's uh, it's. Uh, Implying that it's something it's referring to the Tiananmen Square incident. So um, I think I wonder what it was about the little reading of Inception that that the censors didn't mind, and you know, maybe maybe perhaps Christopher Nolan implanted ideas into the censors' heads, <laughs> or maybe know. maybe he threatened them with Batman. <laughs> well, uh, in talking about our second news this week, where you're also talking about um, Inception. And that is the opening of Inception in Hong Kong, uh, also coming from uh, film, the Film Business Asia website. This article says that the first, or the film achieved first day takings of Hong Kong 2.5 million uh, from 70 venues, which is actually quite a lot in Hong Kong. And it knocked Toy Story 3 out of the top spot into second place. And uh, Aftershock, which we talked about last week, uh, was in third place. So a little bit of a surprise, do you think, Kevin? Oh no, not surprise at all. I mean, the film has been building buzz. Um, for example, it got it, it got the um, it made I think eight hundred thousand dollars from a preview screening so weekend before. Uh, it had Christopher's no one's name on it, and it had um, a lot of buzz coming from America and from the trailers. Um, it's not a surprise. I mean, 70, 70 screen release, you know, that ain't nothing. I'll tell you. I mean. Um, Usually, a film in Hong Kong gets about thirty-five screen. That's pretty wide release already. So to get seventy screens, meaning they take up more than half of Hong Kong screens, 
and um, most of them are packed. So it's not not surprised that I think over five days the film made sixteen million Hong Kong dollars already. So it's um is heading. It's not going to be anywhere near the Dark Knight's take, but um it'll be one of the more successful films of the year in Hong Kong, I think, because uh, well, strong word of mouth's been quite strong. So um I think it's going to do quite well over time. Yeah, and I do believe I owe you a bubble tea. If I remember correctly, we had a bet a few weeks ago, and I was wagering on uh, The Last Airbender, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I had said, uh, I think The Last Airbender may be the Inception because it, you know, it'll be a family film, and it'll draw out um, all of the families and all of the kids. And little did I know that The Last Airbender would be a tragedy. So I will pay you in full with a bubble tea the next time we have a chance. All right, well, I'll... Uh... And I'll, I'll tell you that the last airbender isn't open until next weekend after you buy me the tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you now, I, I don't expect it to come anywhere. It's had so much bad buzz that I don't expect it to come anywhere near uh, the numbers that Inception is is now showing. So, well, uh, you know, it is going up against Step Up 3D, and you can't fight giants like Step Up 3D without you know getting your hands dirty. Our final news this week, um, Indian films are getting a push in some U.S. cinemas, and this is uh, another story from Film Asia. and uh, Big Cinemas, the exhibition chain of Indian Giant Reliance, is promoting Indian films in the U.S. by putting on festival venues um, at several theaters uh, in the American, in the United States, um, and Basically, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be letting people who go to, who patronize the cinemas um, and who've booked movie tickets, um, either at the, at the, I guess, at the ticket office or online, they'll have a chance to get some screenings, uh, some, some free screenings of some of these Indian films. Um, and I don't know, I think this is a pretty interesting idea. Not sure if uh, the U.S. is ready for... Um, Oh, a new wave of Indian films. I mean, I know that, uh, uh, you know, you had, um, uh, what was the musical that I really, was really good about? Bride and Prejudice and uh, a couple other films, uh, The Namesake, that were really good in recent years. Um, but I don't know. Do you think this is going to spur off a new wave of uh, Indian cinema in the U.S.? Um, there have always been... You know, certain communities where uh, Bollywood cinema thrive because of a huge um, Indian population. I mean, I'm, I come from the Bay Area, so um, in Silicon Valley, there are a lot of Indians. So I'm sure Bollywood films would be huge there. But um, I'm not sure on a, on a more national, nationwide scale how that's going to work. Um, I will say that at least I've seen one of those films. I've seen Free Idiots, and I can say... It's a crowd pleaser. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be just India. It's it's uh it could be a potential crowd pleaser that would um that could be huge, except with the fact that it's three hours long. But the the film festival screening I saw that people were uh really, really into it. And that seems to be the case whenever Bollywood films come to Hong Kong um in festival screenings, that people are really into it and it's always really fun. And if they could get people to go in in that kind of scale, I think this could be something new. Um, I mean, Bollywood films have always, um, they've been, 
in the British market, I think, for years, uh, and it's worked. Um, so I'm hoping that the 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 Indian community can come out and support these films, and also uh, encourage their non-Indian friends to go. And uh, you know, it could be something big. Who knows? Yeah, I know that um, in the upcoming film festival they're having here in Hong Kong. I'm very excited. I've I bought tickets to uh, the the film My Name Is Khan, which I've been very anxious to see. Um, and I know that it's actually it's actually out on video. I think in, in on UK DVD, and I think it's on the, coming out in the states later. But um, they're going to be having it on the screen here in Hong Kong. So I was very excited that uh, I'll be able to get a chance to see that uh, on the screen. And that's starring um, Shahrukh Khan, who I guess. You know, as Indian movies go, he's like you know the Richard Gere, or the Harrison Ford, or I mean, he's he's apparently bigger than Jesus in uh, Indian cinema. I mean, he's I know that I, I watch on I, I don't know if it's I, I've got one of the channels on the Discovery Channel. They keep advertising that he's got his own reality show too that sort of follows him around in his daily life. Um, you know, and it's called like Living with a Superstar or something. So, and he's got a film here that they're highlighting about, uh, looks like a, uh, I don't know, is that, it's not rugby, it's a lacrosse team or, or yeah, it looks like lacrosse, field you know, soccer. Rug- yeah. Yeah. Chuck sure. the. It's the one with the sticks. Yeah. Um, with the sticks. Field hockey, I think it is. Chuck the India. Yeah. But no, yeah, the cons, the cons are definitely huge in, in body with cinema. Um, I'm sorry for anyone that, you know anyone that actually knows Bollywood better than I do. Um, but Amir Khan, who who's in Three Idiots, um, he's also um, he's essentially the young, the in the young younger generation. He's one of the biggest stars. I think pretty much in Bollywood and um, and Three Idiots. He's one of those, he's still forty years old, but yet he pulls off playing a young college student in Three Idiots. You know that's and he he pulls off really well. He has star power and. Um, you know, I want, and I bought a ticket to My Name is Khan as well. So I'm, I look forward to uh, discovering more of Bollywood cinema uh, in Hong Kong. That's going to wrap it up for news this week. So we don't have an e-screen film to talk about, so we thought we would talk about some of the trailers that are out there for upcoming films. And first up is um, The Invincible. This is a film coming from Korea. Kevin, do you have any details on this? Yeah, this is the um, hyped-up remake of A Better Tomorrow. Um made in korea i i seen the trailer uh you've seen the trailer also paul right yes. uh i'm not too familiar with the stars but uh, apparently it stars three fairly huge korean male stars um i wish uh i knew them better but um i think kozo said it best uh when we watched this trailer at the office he said couldn't they get men who actually looked different from one another for this movie um that, that wasn't my problem with the, with the trailer is that that my problem with the trailer is that i couldn't see anything the whole film just looked under dark and too much atmosphere for its own good. 
Um, it looks like a lot of stylized male bonding, you know, Korean type gangster stuff. And I just don't, I can't get excited about it. Uh, yeah. It's not even the fact that it's a remake of A Better Tomorrow. It's just the fact that it doesn't look very appealing. Yeah, I, I, as I watched the trailer, um, there there are definitely a couple shots where it's, you know, it's very much in, in line with, um, you know, the Mark character walking through hallways and gunplay, and then you, you get a chance to see him later, and he looks like he's been busted up somehow. Um, I'm not sure. Which one is it? Yeah, it's, which it's, one of them is it? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of hard to tell who's in who's in which roles. Um, you know, uh, who's who's got the Leslie role, right? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I I'm intrigued to where you know because I loved the original. I'm intrigued to see what they do with it. If it's gonna be like a, a shot for shot kind of a remake, and it's sort of an update. You know, might might be somewhat decent, but the trailer does. You know, it, it is kind of boring. Um, mm-hmm. What the the way they've got it sort of edited up here, um, and I don't even speak Korean. The trailer, the trailer that I have uh, I have on YouTube, I'll put it on the site, and you can take a look if you're listening. And there's no subtitles on it, but you don't really. If you've seen the original, you don't really need the subtitles here. You don't need to speak Korean. You can kind of figure out um, what's going on if you've seen the original. What I really want to know is who is going to play John Woo's role? <laughs> is John Woo going to show up as John Woo again? Is the director going to be playing himself again, just like just like John Woo did? Yeah. Or just go some weird crossover, maybe where where Trey uh, Hark can play him? Maybe Chow Yun Fat will show up. He needs the work. Uh, the next film is the The Child's Eye. This is the latest. Uh, from the Pang Brothers, I guess, and uh, looks like a pretty standard ghost fair kind of a film. Um, I don't know. What do you think of this, Kevin? Um, what's so special about this film is that uh, one is in 3D. Uh, the Pang Brothers' first try at 3D. Um, also, um, it's kind of it kind of marks the return of a Taiwanese pop singer, um, Rainy Yang. Um, who got into trouble a few years ago uh, talking about um, the Nanking Massacre on TV and, and on Chinese TV. Um, and um, also, it's uh, I believe, going to Venice. It's going to be shown one of the out-of-competition sections. Um, so it, it seems like quite a special film. But um, to me, it just kept spelling all these you know, recycled <clears throat> style that the Pang Brothers always used for for the ghost films. Yeah. Um, and could you? I mean, you saw my Twitter today. I mean, did you figure out who the bearded guy is? is it looks that, like Sean Yu. Is that Sean Yu? That, that was my question. It looks like Sean Yu, but um, it it goes by really quick. It's hard to see. Right. Uh, Again, like the like the Invisible trailer is that the movie is lit so dark so darkly you can't tell what's going on that whole thing I, of course it makes sense because you know it's a horror film so it makes sense but to see that's dark. my big question how how is that gonna how is that gonna work with the 3d it's gonna be terrible yeah because the 3d already makes the image darker right yeah so. and i mean it's like if if you can't see because 3d is typically in a lot of the films it's not like old 3d where it's just stuff coming out at you it's also depth perception between objects you know in the film so like the way you see a chair and the person in relation to that chair and the wall behind them is supposed to give you sort of a greater 
uh, depth of field kind of a feeling. But if it's all dark and if it's all sort of, you know, standard horror where you can't really see anything and you're just looking at shadows, I don't see how that's going to work. Well, I'll and just, I don't really, gonna... I don't really want to have to pay 3D prices for sort of cheap and low budget horror. This this could be the case. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, Venice is just making the the real good picks this year, aren't they? Um, <laughs> this and Legend of the Fist. Um, I'm gonna wait for the primitive 2D DVD version and watch it in mono in yeah. a very bright room. I may just go back and watch Womb Ghosts again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't do it but you know also when you look at this trailer and you look at the end you mentioned you know sort of the Pang Brothers recycled style they've got some computer graphic-y kind of weird moving image thing (laughs) that looks like it was taken right out of recycled Um, (laughs) so and then some of the some of the things that people or ghosts or whatever they are doing in here it's it's it seems like it's nothing really new or original. I'm just wondering if they, you know, are deciding to slap the 3D on it and hope that that's innovative enough to bring people into the theater. Yeah, it seems so recycled. They just call it the i3D because you know, they never made the i3. Yeah, but they did make the i10. Right. I so so it leaves fig- the gaps right in there. I can't figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our last trailer that we're going to talk about this week, The Return of Donnie. No, sorry. Uh, Legend of the Fist, Legend of the Fist, The Return of Chen Zen, starring Donnie Yen. Um, now, Kevin, you're going to have to explain this trailer to me, because as I watch it, I'm seeing it, what looks like uh, something taken out of a, you know, sort of a Shanghai, Shanghai kind of a film. Um, but then in, in other scenes, it looks like I'm looking at the Green Hornet, and then yet in other scenes, it looks like I'm looking at uh, uh, homage to Bruce Lee in uh, in um, uh, Fist of Fury or Chinese Connection, depending on which title you're thinking about. So, what is it? What is, what what are we seeing here? Well, Chen Jin was a character that Bruce Lee first played, I believe, in Fist of Fury, where essentially gave uh, excuse for Bruce Lee to be real patriotic and kick a lot of Japanese people's ass. Um, and then Jet Li played this character as well in Fist of Legend. So uh, this will be the third time, I believe, the character is being brought back, hence the, the, the references to Bruce Lee. Um, and I guess... And whole... so that's why in this trailer we get scenes of Donnie going, Wah! like Bruce right. Lee. And we exactly. see him. We see him in sort of the um, white, you know, school uniform, which was what Bruce Lee had worn in in mm-hmm. that film. And uh, I believe Jet Li, Jet Li also in in Fist of Legend, he had he had a similar uniform on. Um, I believe it was the black black one on. I'm he not sure. The, he had the black one on. Yeah, I, Bruce had the white one on. If I I have to go back and check the film. Um, but what what's with the sort of green hornet black mask outfit? I have no idea what's going on. I mean, when I first watched a teaser for this, I see Donnie donning the whole uh, Green Hornet thing, and then he's jumping in a battlefield fighting Japanese people. I was like, what am I watching? It's it's almost like 
propaganda Chinese, you know, nationalistic propaganda taken to a self-parody level, except it is totally not a self-parody. It seems like a serious film and is playing on the most patriotic of all days on National Day. Um hell, I'm Chinese and I feel offended by this movie. It's just so <laughs> it's so over top nationalistic. I don't see why isn't this movie a parody? Why isn't David Zucker playing making this? Why isn't Jeff Lau making this movie? And why isn't he making fun of you know, why is it Andrew Lau? Um, it just all seem old, like a terrible dream. You know, why is this movie being made? Yeah. And again, why is this going to Venice? It's opening Venice. I, I think, you know, we were saying talk about during the program, I guess the whole reason is that there were no, there are no white people being, being fought, which is why, you know, the Europeans are perfectly comfortable bringing it over. But, you know, still, it just seems so over the top, explicitly nationalistic, um, propaganda that I'm surprised that it's still being made these days and people would go pay and watch it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's Donnie. It's, I'm sure it's going to be a big film. Um, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm surprised he's continuing to do the whole, you know, nationalism thing. I mean, I guess if it pays well, you know, you, you go where the money is, but you'd think that, you know, by now after it man and it meant to, that he'd kind of want to go in a different direction. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it pays real well, and two, it gets him on the Chinese audience's good side. I mean, all the people behind the scenes working in this film are are from based in Hong Kong. You got Gordon Chan and Andrew Lau. Both of these were very much Hong Kong-based directors, and the whole dilemma of Hong Kong-based directors these days are trying to work in China and manage to make a movie to fit the mainland Chinese audience taste, and this seems like a real desperate attempt. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, let's talk about some West Screen news. Um, the first bit of news we'll talk about is James Bond is going to be the star of the Hollywood remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And uh, this article is coming from uh, entertainmentweekly.com, the website. And I don't know um, if you're familiar. This, this book is like... The, 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 it's, not, it's not on the same level as Harry Potter in terms of readership, but it, in terms of sales, it's doing huge sales worldwide now. Um, this book series and it's already gone on to create they've already got two of the films done uh, coming out of Sweden I think it's Sweden I um, think so yeah um, or, and yeah. I got, I got I've seen the first one already I had I was hoping to get to see the second one because it was playing when I was over in the states at, a, at some art house cinemas I wasn't actually able to make it out but I did get to see the first one on uh, on an imported DVD and I loved it it was great it was very engaging um, a little bit long, but it, I really like the story and I love the actors that they had playing the roles. So when I found out that Hollywood was remaking it and they had cast um, Daniel Craig in sort of the main protagonist role, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, you know, why are they doing this when the Swedish film was already so good? They, why, don't, why not, you know, p promote this film more? But, you know, in typical Hollywood fashion... 
if it's in a foreign language, you know, they don't want to touch it, um, which I think is a shame because it's really a good film. And especially the, the young actress that they have playing um, the, the title female role of Elizabeth uh, uh, Salander. And she was really great. She really sort of carried the film for it. And now they're talking about figuring out who they're going to cast for the Elizabeth uh, character in the Hollywood film. And this article is talking about some of the actresses that they've narrowed it down to, none of which uh, seem very appealing to me. But I guess I'm kind of biased having liked the Swedish film so much. What do you think, Kevin? You excited about this at all? Um, I'm more excited about watching the originals now. I mean, all three films are done uh, because I've read a review for all three of them already. Um, usually I would try and pick up the books, but um, I mean, this time I just want to catch in the films and see and see how they are. I mean, I know David Fincher is already uh, attached to the remake, so I think that gives it that extra level of anticipation, but um, no, I think knowing that it's going to be remade by Hollywood just makes me want to see the original more. Um, thankfully, it is coming to Hong Kong, I think, next month. Um, but I'm not sure about the other two films. I think it would take a while. But still, yeah, like I said, I, I really look forward to watching the, the, the original European films now. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of going into this with a, the same feeling I had when I heard that, um, uh, was it, uh, Scorsese was doing uh, The Departed. Um you know, having loved Infernal Affairs so much, I thought, you know, what is, why why does Hollywood have to do this? Why do they have to take something, strip it down, and sort of remake it in their image? And to their credit, The Departed was an okay film, but it, for me, it doesn't hold a candle to the, to the original. And I just get the same sense that this is going to sort of follow suit, um, particularly with you know, because there's some very explicit stuff that ends up happening um, in the Swedish film. And I'm not sure Hollywood's prepared to go that far with, with some, of, you know, some of the adult themes and, and material that's actually involved in that story. Um, you know, especially when they're dealing with a property that turns, you know, tends to be very popular. They may want to dumb it down or somehow lighten it, and I think that would really detract from the the narrative overall. Um, I think I have enough faith in David Fincher um, in that he will make. I don't. I won't expect another seven or anything, but um, I have enough faith in him that he's going to not dumb down the film. But um, and I also hope that they're not trying to remake the film like The Departed. I think I hope that they'll use the novel as more of uh, their starting point, more than the film itself. I hope they're not trying to recreate the film, but rather just adopt, adapt the novel, maybe with a different flavor from the original films. Mm. Um, also from the article, it, it does mention that uh, um, Fincher offered uh, the, the role of Lisbeth to Natalie Portman, but she turned it down, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, not sure if I could could see her in that role but i'm wondering you know what why she would have turned it down maybe she felt that um that it was too explicit too intense um you know for for her to to want to take it up all right our next bit of west screen news this week um actually i don't know it's some of these news articles seems like they could fit in either east screen or west screen it's kind of hard 
to figure out um, where to put them sometimes. Uh, but this is regarding the pop singer Boa or Boa. Boa. With a, with a capital Boa. A on the end. Uh, that's that's uh, how Boa. she spells it. Yeah, it's Boa. But or Bank of America. Yeah, Bank of America. <laughs> she's probably got more money than the Bank of America right now, that's for sure. <laughs> um, she's a South Korean singer, but she's extremely popular in Japan um, where she's she's made a number of albums. I think she's made a... I think she's produ produced a Chinese a Mandarin language album too. I'm not sure. Yes, Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of these young artists, they're they you know they try and cross all types of different global boundaries these days to uh, get their you know get their branding out to as many people as many consumers as possible. But anyway, uh, she's uh, 23 years old. Her real name is Quan Boa, and she will star in a movie, a Hollywood movie about dancers in New York City. Ooh, Ooh surprise. Exciting. I've never heard that before. And, um, yeah, this film is, uh, is uh, what, what do they say? It's written by someone who's made a movie about New York dancers. Right? Yeah, it's like Dwayne Adler, screenwriter mm -hmm. for Save the Last Dance and Step Up, oh, is expected to direct the new movie. Um, so he's moving on uh, from screenwriter of two dance films to director of a dance film. So, yeah, uh, well, I mean, good honor if she can break into the U.S. market. I know that a number of uh, Asian starlets have tried. Um, I'm still surprised, you know, some people like Coco Lee, who seems to have a pretty good following stateside. I mean, I, she's done songs for Disney movies and things. Um, I'm surprised she hasn't tried to go this route. I'm pretty sure, I think she has, and Boa has actually been attempting to break into America since last year. She already has an, uh, an English album uh, released in America. Um, I believe she even learned English, um, but I think it didn't work out as well, uh, because Asian, Asian pop stars just tend to have trouble, especially even those who speak uh, fluent English, like Yutada Hikaru. So I'm not surprised that Boa had trouble, but... Um, you know, if, if this movie's end, if this movie ends up being a success, this could be her way in. Let's move on to talk about our West Screen film for this week. And that is the new Christopher Nolan film, Inception. So, Inception. Um, how would you describe this film, Kevin? Oh, dear. Should I go the simple way over this, Paul? Yeah, I mean, we don't want to give... We're going to have a spoiler section at the end today. Um, so we won't get into too many details. But just give us a basic plot and then some of your thoughts. Okay, uh, a very simple um, explanation of the plot would be about, it's about um, a group of dream thieves, I suppose, um, led by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, and their job is essentially to go into um, a subject's mind and perform something called extraction, where they take out uh, secrets 
from their uh, subject's mind, and they they work for large corporations and uh, essentially corporate espionage, as I mentioned in, earlier in the news section. Um, so the, for the latest job, um, they instead of stealing uh, the secret from uh, a Japanese um, businessman called Saito, um, the the Japanese businessman decided to turn the tables and hire these guys to plant an idea into their another man their his competitor's mind uh the process is called inception is essentially about planting an idea into this person's head and allowing him to do something for the for Saito's benefit so that is essentially the entire film the structure of the film is that the first half sets up the heist um it sets up the whole world of uh, dream theft and and how to get into the subconscious and how things work and that's done in the form of um, introducing a new member to the team and showing her the ropes um, and then the second film essentially takes you on this really exhausting journey through this job uh, going through one level after another of subconsciousness um, so I think I think Christopher Nolan is very smart um, he knows that when you give when you're given a two hundred million dollar budget, you have to make uh, something commercial. But he does it without essentially without um, betraying betraying what his original idea was, and and that's to explore all these uh, conceptual uh, con- concepts uh, about dreams. So it's a very it's a deceptively simple film. Is this it, it's a normal heist film. Um, and it's a very exciting ride, and it pleases commercial audiences. But at the same time, it's also full of these these ideas and concepts, and that that could that people can really dig into. Um, and I wrote in a review elsewhere um, that the film is a little cold. That the film is so full of ideas is that it kind of ignores uh, many of its uh, characters and it sort of drops a lot of the emotional payoffs and. And that that's still part true. Um, you never find out much about the characters beyond the Leonardo DiCaprio Dom Cobb character and his his family um, and his secrets and, and his background. But you never find out about anyone in his team or even about uh, his his uh, employer Saito. Uh, that being said, um, there's not much room for more characterization than there already is. The film already runs two and a half hours. Um, I think this film would be a, a fairly, you know, still be a fairly exciting mini series. I think it was made for maybe four or five hours long. It still be just as enjoyable because one of all the ideas and the extra time could afford it the the the, the characterization and the emotional payoff that it needs for it to really hit um, the audience. Um, but I, did, I think Christopher Nolan did his best um, with what he's had. Um, the actors are great. Um, we can talk about that later. Um, the whole team, uh, a, a whole team of actors are, are very good here. Um, from uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to Ellen Page to Joseph Gordon-Levitt to um, Tom Hardy and and even Ken Watanabe, um, they're all very good. So that kind of compensate for the lack of characterization. Um, it's very rewatchable. It's a very rewatchable film. I've already seen it twice uh, in one week, actually. But um, it, it, it benefits from just sitting there and, and to enjoy the ride rather than really to think about too much 
because um, there's not much to be surprised from when you watch it again. But um, if you just sort of, sort of sit back and enjoy the film as it goes on, it's a very enjoyable ride. Something that's definitely worth re- revisiting. But I don't think that thinking too much about it would sort of just get you off the film and it gets really tough to get involved in it again. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a film that is again, full of ideas, but it's very much worth waiting to after the film thing to, to figure it out. Um, in that, in that sense, um, Christopher Nolan again is very smart in, um, make creating sort of multiple interpretations. Uh, there are multiple ways that you can read the film. Um, some, we'll talk about this, I guess, more in the, uh, spoiler section, but I've heard, uh, one that isn't a spoiler is that the film is essentially about filmmaking. Uh, this whole team of people going into someone's stream is, um, essentially about, and the, the different role that I play essentially is about a film production. For example, the Leonardo DiCaprio character would be a director, the Tom Hardy, the, the Forger character, he'd be the actor. Uh, and you know, Ken with not been a Saito character, he'd be the investor that rides along, uh, things like that. And you know, by not giving a definitive answer, uh, I think that's sort of the smartest thing that Nolan does is that the film itself is an act of inception. It creates multiple ideas in your head, and whichever one, and, and after the film, it just sort of spreads itself into the brain and lets you work it out on your own. Um, that's about it before we get into the spoiler section. So, Paul, what? What do you think about the film? Yeah, um, it, it 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 really blew me away, in a way that not many films do. Um, it, I would describe it as being both simple and deep at the same time, and that that seems like a contradiction, but that was the feeling that I had. I had no trouble understanding what was going on at any given moment, even though I didn't understand everything. It was the way that. And, and this I attribute to, you know, Nolan's skill as a director, basically, and his skill, skill as a storyteller, the way that he sort of let the film unfold. You start off with a whole lot of questions, um, but things get explained to you, but it doesn't, it doesn't do it in a way like it's in your face, you know, mm-hmm. so that you're like, okay, here's where they're telling us how to do this, and here's where they're... You know, it, it's not like it's leading you along by the hand. It's just, it feels very natural and very fluid is the best way I can describe it. I am not a huge Leonardo DiCaprio fan. Um, there are few, there are only a, a couple films that I enjoy, um, really enjoy that he's been in. Um, what's the one with uh, the Western with uh, Sharon Stone? Uh, the Quick and the Dead. Yeah, The Quick and the Dead is one of them, and he's he doesn't even really have a really huge part in that. Um, not a big fan of the Titanic. You know, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail from any lady listeners we have. But uh, <laughs> um, I saw what I saw Shutter Island when I was flying back to the states, and really didn't had a hard time getting into that film. Um, and it's interesting because that film and this film, there's a lot of similar issues going on. Um, I, I won't get too much into that, but there, there's there's there de- there's definitely some similar similar themes being played with in these two films. But this is just a much better film. Um, perhaps it's more commercial, but I think it's a lot more 
um, skillful in the way that it deals with the subject matter than Shutter Island was. Um, and I really enjoyed DiCaprio here. Um, I really liked the character he was playing. I really liked the issues that he was dealing with and the way that he was going about doing what he did. Um, you know, and being that this is a heist film, you know, it does follow sort of a standard, we got to build the team formula that you'd find in Ocean's Eleven or some of the old like Rat Pack films you know, where they had to get a team of guys, a team of specialists together to do different things, or, you know, different actors have a different role. Sometimes you've got a guy who's the straight guy, you've got the, a comedy duo, or things like this. Um, they all have this sort of standard kind of flow. And I think that's probably the, if there's a negative part to the film, that's, you know, because that's kind of an expected thing. There, There's sort of a long, drawn-out chase scene that happens at one point um, where these guys are chasing after um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And I was kind of like, eh, do, do we really need that? Um, I, 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 was, I was not really interested in what was going on there, although it does sort of build into a, a point that's made later, which um, we, we can talk about in the spoiler section. Um, I think that the other thing to notice here, too, is that Nolan likes to work with a lot of the same people, right? So you've got, um, you know, you've got people like um, Cillian Murphy, who was in both of the Batman films as the Scarecrow, um, Michael Caine, who was uh, um, Alfred, you know, the, the butler of uh, Bruce Wayne. Kind of makes me wonder, and and from what I've heard, he you know he's he, we, the the music is by Hans Zimmer. It's got an excellent soundtrack, and if you're somebody who enjoys music, the way that they use the music in this film is equally amazing. It's not simply a case of a soundtrack was just made to sound cool. The soundtrack that's used and the way they built the soundtrack is directly relational, directly relative to the different levels that are going on in the film. And it's really an amazing process. I don't want to get too much into it, but I would urge you that if you're interested in sound at all and you don't know already, you probably have already found out about it on the internet, but you don't know, look it up online about how they did the soundtrack for this film because it's really amazing. Um, I, After getting home, I bought it immediately because I liked it so much. Um, but he's, he worked, you know, he's worked with uh, Zimmer, on the Batman films and, and things before, so he likes working with the same people. Kind of makes me wonder, you know, he's doing, he's going to be doing the next Batman here fairly soon. Maybe DiCaprio may show up there? I don't know. They're, they're still trying to... The only thing they've said definitely so far is that they're not going to bring the Joker back because, you know, nobody would be able to do it the way that Heath Ledger did. Um, so they've got to have a new villain. Maybe the Riddler? Leonardo DiCaprio as a Riddler could happen. I don't know. Just <laughs> speculating. Um, the other thing about these sort of team films, these heist films, is you typically have a favorite character. You know, it's the, you've got a range of characters, and everybody's going to identify with somebody. So who did you identify with, Kevin? Who's your favorite of the team? Um, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, um, he, he, was my, he was my favorite character, too. The, I think he's called the... The Point Man is is his right. designated title. Although I was kind of partial to the chemist as well. 
um, Dilip Rao, who some people may recognize from Avatar. Um, I, I kind of liked the role that, that he had in the, the, the way that he was kind of a fish out of water in what he was being asked to do. Um, the, I, I, I was partial to uh, Tom Hardy's uh, Forger character as well. I mean, the way that he, he bought the kind of Christopher Lowen's kind of British... British humor, British, I guess, um, you know, the sly, yeah. the British. Well, a lot of people, a lot of, of other podcasts favorite. I've listened to, and a lot of people I've talked with have said that their favorite character is the Tom Hardy character. But I was, I was really, I don't know. Um, I guess maybe because I came out of Five Hundred Days of Summer, not liking the film and not liking uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that film as much as many people did. Um, and here it was like a completely different, I was given something completely different and I liked what I was given here. And, um, so I was, his, his character is so straightforward that, yeah. that is so, you know, watching him do what he's, what he's trained to do, what he's professional at without blinking an eye. It's just so cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes for, you know, these, a, a good film is when you see, uh, the, you know, these heist film, the plans coming together and the people doing what they're good at. Um, this film, like I said, it got me to think um, in, in a way that not many films do. Uh, you know, this film hit me the way The Matrix hit me because when I first went in to see The Matrix, I had seen a couple trailers, but the trailers didn't really give you any sense of what the story was actually about. So I went into the Matrix and the concept, I mean, the vis everybody th thinks about the visuals of the Matrix and we all can talk about, you know, the, the borrowing of action styles from Hong Kong cinema and stuff that's been talked about to death. But the concept of the Matrix, of what was actually going on, you know, around the narrative of, the, of that film was something that really hit me and, and really stuck with me. And I think it stuck with a lot of people. And this film has that same sense. A lot of people that I've listened to talk about the film have said they don't think it's as culturally relevant. They don't think that this film is going to have the same kind of impact that The Matrix had, where, you know, The Matrix came out and it sort of changed everything in terms of action and, and the, you know, it was, it had invented new technology um, with the, you know, the bullet time and all that. And I'm not sure if this film will have that same level of impact, but for me, at least from a thinking perspective. This got me to think um, a lot about the concept, which I really, really like when a movie makes me do that. Um, and I think that there's going to be some cultural influence in forms of pop culture. They've got this term called the kick, which um, is used quite frequently in the, uh, in the story. And I've heard people out on the street talking about, oh, they need a kick now. And <laughs> Um, so I think that we'll probably see some of this carry on into other media. I'm going to, I can't wait to see either a future Rama or a Simpsons episode, uh, based around this, you know, it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> and that's usually the sign of success, right? Yeah. My, my phrase is uh, totem. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, always, I'm always looking for a totem. People there. talking about totems. I've, I've come across a couple people on Twitter talking about, you know, what's their totem going to be. I joked about it earlier today. I said, I think some people's totem is going to be the iPhone 4. <laughs> and if it if you do the death grip on the iPhone 4 and it doesn't have signal loss, then you'll know you're stuck in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think that we're going to probably see, at least for a while, some of, some of this carryover. Um, 
Also interesting from a filmmaking perspective is that as you get into the dream states here, um, pay attention to the different layers. Um, the different layers kind of act as different genres, which I think is very, very interesting um, in their approach. Um, we, we can talk a little bit about what each of those genres are when we get on to the spoilers. Um, the last thing that I'd, I'd want to talk about before we move on is sequels. Um, I imagine this film is going to be fairly successful this year. Some people have talked about this possibly you know, going on to be uh, Oscar material in terms of some of the performances and things. It's possible. Um, but for sequels, I really hope not. I hope mm. that I hope that it kind of ends here. I think it, I think the way that it ends, it, it was a it was a solid ending, and I, I it's a controversial ending for many people, which we'll talk about. But I'm I was happy with it. I was content, you know. And I, as much I think you could probably do a lot more with what is presented here in terms of the the you know the technology. And there are certainly more stories you could do. But then I think about things like the Matrix, you know, sequels. And, you know, were either of those, did either of those have the impact or were either of those at the same level? Even though they were sort of bigger spectacle, I never felt they reached the same level as the original. And they weren't as pleasing as the original. Um, and that the original could have probably just stayed by itself without the sequels and would and would be, would have been fine um and i kind of feel that way now so i'm i'm you know it's hollywood so you probably know it's going to happen at some point i'm kind of hoping in that it's not all right uh I have a comment this week to talk about uh, from former commentator Tin Lan Lao, um, who he says, uh, he talks about, we were talking last week about some of our disappointment in uh, some of the special features on Blu-ray and DVD releases. And he says that um, he had previously, I guess, worked for a DVD distribution company um, with films like The Myth, Chinese Tall Story, Robbie Hood, uh, dog bite dog, and um, you know he says that he's also noticed that uh, some special features of Blu-ray releases have been subpar. Um, but he says when he was active with Joy Sales, it wasn't always like this. He had a boss who was very proactive about gathering in-depth footage for use on the releases. Um, and film studios themselves have a tendency to be a bit stingy with the footage they allow for such purposes. Um, which I find interesting. You know, you you would think that if a film studio has a monetary stake of some sort in a DVD, that, you know, the more you could pack into it and make it a selling point for people to want to pick it up, um, that the more they'd be willing to do that. Um, I don't agree because I think, unlike America, where um, there will be producers who are known for making... Uh, special uh, special edition home video, um, and where there's a big enough home theater buff circle to make home video profitable, there it just isn't enough of these type of people in Hong Kong. Um, for Hong Kong consumers, the DVD release only means that there'll be a better version to download later on. Um, 
and and forget then the fact that these DVDs are not uh, produced by people who well one they don't get the content to produce them and two people who aren't particularly good at it or have enough content to make it good uh, it just sort of like it, I think it's sort of a, a vicious cycle you know you got the people who won't buy. And then without the revenue, the people, the, the the studios don't have enough money to produce these. And the less effort the studio put in to produce these, then the consumers are less willing to buy it. And it just continues over and over. And one side has to change. And I don't see anyone changing. Um, Do you think this is a result of the fact that um, the, the, the cycles are all broken up? You know, you've got... Uh, first, you've got a film studio that makes the film, but then you've got a different company that gets in charge of, uh, you know, burning it onto a DVD and then ha- releasing it and having it distributed through, through various markets. Um, do you think because there's sort of a separation that it causes, you know, maybe a breakdown in that if it was sort of all organized under one roof that maybe we would get better quality and better content? I doubt it because in America, again, they would. I'm sure there are a lot of unspoken or uncredited companies who produce these DVDs in America as well. Um, like I said, there are certain star producers who are known for known for producing special edition DVDs who are active in um, active in uh, home theater forums and talking to people uh, about what they really want. Um, and there are enough participants to 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 promise that it'll turn a profit or make their effort worth it but again in terms of hong kong cinema there's just the sales um let's say a film costs 15 dollars american american dollars to to produce it only sells maybe a really good good well a really uh best-selling dvd maybe sell ten thousand copies um that ultimately count to $150,000 American dollars. I mean, I don't think that this, you know, in America, a uh, home video release could make millions. It could even eclipse over the, the box office takings. Um, so financial, this doesn't make financial sense to really spend the money that it needs to produce these really packed special, uh, special edition DVDs. All right, well, I think that's good about all the time we have for this week. Um, as usual, if you'd like to follow along with what we're doing, what we're up to, you can check in at our website at www.kongcast.com, and you can find the show notes there. We'll put up links to some of the trailers we talked about and general listing of show notes. Um, you can also find my Twitter there if you're ever interested in the Uh, daily monotony that is my life and my tweets as always you can find these on itunes or you can download the episodes directly from our website and if you'd like to follow the far more interesting exploits of the man known as the golden rock in his alter ego um, you can find him on twitter at what is it again kevin the Golden Rock, uh, www.twitter.com slash The Golden Rock. That's in one word, The Golden Rock. All right. And as always, if you'd like to write in, you can leave comments and we'll discuss them here in the show, or you can send us an MP3 audio file, keep it short and sweet, and we'll play that on the show as well. Uh, next time, we'll be looking for episode 37 at the new TVB Hong Kong film, uh, the Jade and the Pearl, which I have no idea what this is about, but we're watching it tomorrow night. Uh, 
And also, we should be having a For West screen talking about, um, well, we got a bunch of films starting tomorrow. We've got uh, Karate Kid, Jackie Chan finally comes back to Hong Kong. We've got uh, Despicable Me. I think we've got The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So we'll probably pick one of those films to talk about for our West screen pick for next week. So until then, as always, we will wish you good viewing and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Yeah, and before she knows it, she'll be starting in the remake of Break Into Electric Boogaloo or something, right? Or Step Up 4D, where they spray the sweat on your audience. Oh, I can't wait. All right, so let's get into some deeper talk about the film. Um, if you've heard the spoilers warning, you may want to turn back now because we are going to talk about a lot of stuff that was in the film. If you haven't seen it, it's going to ruin it for you. I would recommend that you turn off your iPod or your machine or whatever you're listening to. Um, all right, so Kevin, mm-hmm. let's let's just jump right to the ending. Okay. Uh, like, you mean where where the Nardi DiCaprio fights Mister Twister? No, not that ending. Oh, okay. Oh, that the, was the other dream. ending. Yeah. Oh, that was a dream. Um, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That was a dream within a dream of a dream. <laughs> um, so what? Yeah. The, the the ending. He you know Cobb's in the room, spins his totem. His kids turn around. He leaves his totem. You know, the, the director focuses it right up on the totem as it's spinning. And I think I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it did happen. And a lot of I'm sure a lot of people had that same feeling that he was going to mm-hmm. end it there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, were, what were your thoughts on that ending? Um, I think like in the non-spoiler section, uh, it, it's brilliant. I mean, it's he, he leaves again. It's about putting that idea into your head that it could be the whole film could be just a dream. Yeah. Um, of course, the whole film could also be read directly. For me, it's more emo- emotionally satisfying that way. So, I choose I choose that reading of the film. Although, I wouldn't blame people if they want to choose to read it as uh, the whole film is a dream, or that uh, Dom Cobb is still stuck in the dream at some point. For example, he could still be just stuck in limbo, or or any other interpretation. How about how what, what would your be interpretation be, Paul? Well, um. I was kind of annoyed at first because I, you know, I saw it coming and I'm like, oh, you're not going to end it there, are you? And, and, and then, oh, yeah. yeah, you did. Why did you do that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, from, what I, from my own understanding of film and, and having worked with film a little bit, that's the best way to do it, you know, because, mm-hmm. again, it gives you that sense of making you think. It, it leaves it with the audience rather than saying you know, putting it all in a sort of neat package and saying, this is it. This is all there is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it keeps people talking about it and, and, and in, in good ways. So I think that that's a, it's, a, it's probably the best way they could have done it. Now, some people have pointed out on Twitter posts and on web pages and things, they've pointed to the costume uh, direction. And one of the things they've said is that if you for first the fact that the kids turn around 
is supposed to make you think that, okay, this is reality, because he was never able to see their faces before in the dream. Mm -hmm. um, but then some people said, well, but the his totem doesn't fall, so it leaves you guessing. But then others said, if you look at if you look at the costume direction, the kids are actually wearing different clothes than the kids who are in the dream. So that points to it that being that he's in, you know, that it is reality and that it's not a dream. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting perspective. I don't know, if, you know, if that's completely the case, but you know, some people were being very observant in their multiple viewings. And some person um, that I talked to today had said that apparently there's something like if you stay all the way to the end, there's a sound that pops up of, you know, it sounds like the totem falling to the table. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Did you catch that? Um, sadly, I didn't sit to the end in both showings uh, because, because the credits were 10 minutes long. Yeah, so, as uh, would be expected. Yeah. Yeah, but I've I've heard. Yeah, apparently listen to the sound. Listen to the sound. That's what I've I've read. Uh, even the the actor who played the chemist, he said, "Yeah, pay attention to the sound." That's yeah. what he said. But uh, when I I thought he meant pay attention to the to the when the, what the sound is when the film blacks out. And what I heard was that the the totem kept going. So, yeah, maybe if there is that extra sound at the end of the totem falling, I and mean, that I think that one is a it's a it's a reward. To tell people to sit to stay in uh, in the seats during the credits. And it could answer, you know, everyone's questions. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, 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 as we mentioned earlier, that I really liked was the way that each of the levels, each of the levels of the dreams, were playing on a different sort of genre. So the first mm -hmm. one, you have this very sort of long, drawn-out chase sequence. Um, the the second level is sort of um, more of an espionage you know, spy kind of a feeling going on where you're trying to convince uh, guys and, and have handoffs and things. And then the third one is a lot more action with um, you know, sort of infiltration and and whatnot. I, I think that that was an interesting approach, although I, I none of the action itself really, you know, stands out in my mind with the exception of sort of that whole elevator sequence, which I thought was amazing. Mm. Um but then you know you've got all the all the, the timing and then the various um you, you know the other worlds and i guess we should we should mention the ladies of the film as well um um uh Marion Cotillard who plays the wife and then uh, Ellen Page of Juno fame who plays uh, Ariadne whose name is of you know from Greek myth who bears some relevance here as well I, I really wasn't sure what to make of her at first. She didn't seem like she would fit, but then she did. So mm -hmm. uh, the casting, I think, was really good. Tom Berenger as Peter Browning. I didn't even recognize him at first. He's gotten so old. Boy, um, he really didn't age gracefully. Yeah, I mean, I've, you, you say Tom Berenger to me, and I'm thinking, like, Major League, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, um, he's there. Um, and, yeah, it was just a great, great overall cast. Um, I think everybody, you know, it's it's kind of like the way the team was working in the film. They all seem to work together very well as actors. Um, um, I don't know. What do, what do you think, Kevin? Did you uh, did you have any uh, any other problems with the film? Um, you know, like I said, there's way too many characters, and I think one of the complaints is that these people never got characterization. And again, I think. Um, 
you know, it would be great as a four, we could would you sit through a four or five hour version of Inception, Paul? I think it would be great. I would I would love it. Well, I think it's you know uh, I don't know, uh, you know that as I said, the one chase scene where they're being chased by the the the, the corporate guy, agents I thought was a a little bit too much. I I could have they could have cut that out. I know they they need to establish the fact that at some point later they talk about you know is is Cobb possibly still in a dream himself you know mm-hmm. being chased the, by the, the wall. shadow corporation and everything and mm-hmm. um, and also Saito showing up apparently is is uh, one of the signs of the dream yeah <laughs> so yeah you know it 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 did make sense I don't know it just it seemed right to me I don't I didn't really want it to be any longer um than than it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would would you have been which which ending would you which, i mean which interpretation do you, i mean i i know you kind of support or you you see why the film would be perceived as the whole thing being as reality but which which interpretation is is your favorite um well you know i'm, I'm liking happy endings you know i i i choose to go with the fact that you know he is back in the real world and that you know he is reunited with his family, and you know it's they lived happily ever after. But then you know what is that? That's a fairy tale. And where do fairy tales exist? They exist in dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just one of these things that keeps me guessing. I've I've only seen the film once. I do plan to see it again, and I can't wait to get it on Blu-ray. Um, so I may change my mind after multiple viewings. Um, what, what I, about the the interpretation about how the film is about filmmaking ultimately? Do you, yeah, do you I think s- that's a I think that's a that's an interesting an interesting point. I liked your point, your other point though, about how the ending itself is sort of a form of inception for the audience. Mm-hmm. I think that that mm-hmm. that's that's very insightful and really, um, really brings the point of the film home. Right, it's to. To, to spark ideas within the audience rather than simply letting the narrative wash over them. 